reading this morning from Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 38. But I say to you that, listen, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you, and if anyone takes away your goods, do not ask for them again. Do to others as you would have them to do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you hope to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love your enemies, do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven, and it will be given to you. A good measure, rest down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For the measure you will give will be the measure you will get back. The gospel of the Lord. Praise you, Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the thing is, what's interesting, you can get back at people using the instigation, using a calculative mind, but it, it, there's a dark side of that as well. Because many of us have the dark side of a calculating mind that we have what's called revenge fantasies. That when somebody's hurt us tremendously or somebody's destroyed us emotionally, that sometimes we can use our calculative mind to say, how can I get revenge on this person? Or how can I get back on this person? Now, there, when we do this, especially as a pastor, because pastors are supposed to act a certain way, talk a certain way, be a certain way. So when pastors get hurt or something, that we have these fantasy conversations in our heads that this is what I would like to say, but we can't say it. And so I've noticed in the scripture text today that we read today, and we only read part of it, and I want to need to get you uh, uh, some history on it. Joseph had the greatest opportunity of having this fantasy revenge in his life. In fact, Joseph was a younger brother of many brothers, and it was interesting, he was a brat. He was a spoiled little brat that God somehow gifted him in this gift of interpreting dreams. And he wasn't maturity. I'm finding out when God gifts, gives you a gift from him, it's not based on your maturity, it's based on your availability. And so therefore he was immature. He did not know how to deal with this gift that he was given. And the gift was interpreting dreams. And so he interpreted a dream that he had that basically his brothers would bow down, bow down to him. And sure, this cocky little brother, cocky little kid, goes up to his bigger brother and says, Hey, you guys are going to bow down to me one day because I could interpret this dream. Then they got ticked off. And they literally wanted to kill the brother. I don't know. I've wanted to kill my brother, but not literally. 
sometimes literally, <laughs> okay, but when, when we were young. And so one of the brothers said, no, this is not a good idea. Why don't we sell them into slavery? The slavery trade was huge, especially for Egypt back then, because Egypt was a growing country, uh, a growing city. And so therefore, they were hiring slaves, buying slaves left and right. And so the brothers orchestrated that they would sell their little brother into slavery. They sold him into slavery into Egypt, told his dad that he was killed by a wild animal. So Joseph had a lot of time to think about this. In fact, he had a very difficult life in Egypt at the beginning. But therefore, he ended up being a mentor to the king because he knew how to interpret these dreams that God has given him. So he interpreted the dream that the king had, that there was going to be a famine years ahead, that he should start growing extra grain to store so when the famine hits, Egypt will have enough food. And so therefore, the famine hit, they did, the king did everything, so they promoted him to be the second in command in Egypt. And so he was in charge of distributing the food in Egypt. And so therefore, years later, his brothers were starving. And they heard that there was food in Egypt. And so therefore, they went to Egypt to get some food. He's in charge. Joseph's in charge of distributing this food. And his brothers comes up to me. Talk about the revenge fantasy now that's happening, right? Oh, I could say all kinds of smack right there. But he got a little cocky, but he didn't do any revenge. In fact, if you look on the screen, in Genesis chapter 45, it says, And Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. Because they didn't recognize him. And they came closer. He said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold, in his, sold into, uh, into Egypt. And now, do not be distressed or angry with yourself, because you sold me here for... For God sent me before you to preserve life. Talking about not doing the revenge. I mean, that's incredible maturity from being the snotty little bratty kid that didn't get along with his brothers to having a spiritual maturity that's interesting. Now, Joseph and his brothers bought into what I call a common lie. And I put on the screen. It's basically, I don't need you. We do this all the time. It's called burning bridges, right? That when somebody hurts you or somebody says something negative about you, you just go, you know what? You're out of my life. I don't need you and your stupid personality. And you'll get away. And so we've done this. And that's what the brothers basically did with Joseph. We don't need this little snot kid. Get out of here. But they didn't realize years later that little snot kid would save their life. And so the thing is, this is to me, because Joseph had the opportunity to build up this incredible resentment in his life, this incredible bitterness in his life because of what his brothers did to me, did to them. You and I have opportunities to grow in bitterness and resentment as well because of boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever, or wife, husband, whatever it may be. And so you're going to grow no matter what. You're going to grow in resentment and bitterness or are you going to grow in wisdom? Right? There's a choice. That, I, 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 I have this situation that I'm in. Which am I going to grow in? Fearness or resentment or wisdom? Now, let me give you a personal example. If you're new to the church, every once in a while I'll bring this up. But I was, my first marriage was in 1988. 
I was divorced in 1995. My first wife left me, had an affair. I had fantasy, bitterness, fantasy, um, revenge. But I had to make a choice. Do I grow in maturity or do I grow in resentment? And this is like when I'm in my 30s. And so I chose not to call her names. I chose not to say anything bad behind her back, negative about her. And I blessed her when she left me. Hard as anything. A year later, I'm up for ordination. She calls me. I haven't talked to her. And there was two people on what's called the Minister Educational Guidance Board that basically did not want me ordained. So they had a private meeting with her to try to get dirt on me. And she called me and said, I backed it up. I told the tr truth. It was me and all that. And so, I, so therefore I was ordained because there was no dirt. She saved me because there was no bridge to be burned. You see what I mean? And so what happens, we have to understand, and Joseph understood this, and I put it on the screen. Joseph realized that we, were, we are all connected. Even though his brother tried to do away with him, God was able to use the situation for the good of his family and many. We can't get rid of our problems by getting rid of people we think are the cause. Therefore, Joseph chose to love his brothers even though they had treated him as an enemy. Now, follow me. Jesus' teachings are awesome, but they're really hard to swallow, right? And so, therefore, we try to avoid his teachings. And one thing, no one has ever said Jesus was a hypocrite. They said Christians are hypocrites, but they never said Jesus is a hypocrite. The majority of people, agnostic and atheists, have no problem with Jesus. Because Jesus was pretty consistent with what he taught and what he lived. So this is what he taught, and I love this. Luke chapter 6, 27, how hardcore it can get. He says, but I say to you that listen. Because a lot of people didn't listen. Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. Not... There's no way in the world you can do this. This is crazy stuff about loving your enemies. But you have to understand, Jesus tells us to do things that need him to do it. I cannot do that without the filling of the Holy Spirit in my life. And see, the thing is, Jesus did. In fact, back on the screen, why could Jesus love his enemies? Jesus could love his enemies because he had the mind of Christ. Now follow me here. Philippians chapter 2 talks about this. In fact, it talks about back on the screen, the mind of Christ is fully enlightened. It sees the whole picture and not just what the ego wants to see. Therefore, Jesus was free to be fully present and fully loving. Now, follow me. The second thing I'm learning, it's on the screen, because Jesus had the mind of Christ, he was not blinded by his ego, and he was not attached. He did not cling to his rights or anything else. And so... The ego forms the calculating mind, right? I took pride in, in it. I took pride in it. The third thing is this. Because Jesus did not cling to anything, he could be fully present to the moment and fully loving to the people he encountered. 
Jesus wasn't beholden to religious dogmas or political ideologies. He didn't have to cling to being right because he saw truth fully indeed was the truth. He didn't feel he had to defend God and the country or win a cultural war or get people to become Christians because his goal was never to start another religion. Jesus was free to be pure, being pure love. We know by the Bible that Jesus is full of grace and full of truth. This is why I got in this big argument with somebody about our little sign in the front that, that basically says, no judgment, just love. But if you look, how do we speak the truth? Through love, right? And so love is an important part. It's full of grace and full of, uh, full of love. And so this is the kind of love I think is important that we understand what true love is. In the New Testament, it uses the word agape. And we're not used to loving an agape way of love because it's a love without conditions. We're used to what we get the word eros from, where the English word is erotic, which basically, I love because you make me feel good. Most of our love songs are based on erotic type of love. And so this is beyond a kinship. It's beyond a brotherly love. In fact, if you look on the screen, agape love is unconditional. It's unchangeable state. It's not a feeling of love. It just is. Grace, the way agape love gives itself sacrificially for the betterment of the whole, is not a lie to say, I'm here today by God's grace. We do not get to the moment completely by our own doing. In fact, we are little to do with it. Our very existence is owed in a way in which God, through God's good universe, has given itself to our existence. Here's what I've done. In the calculating mind, that's a certain state of what I call consciousness. Now, we understand in Romans 12 that transformation begins by the renewing of one's mind, right? The way we think, the way we process things, the way we have come to a conclusion. And so that's the beginning of transformation, is the way we think. And so therefore, as I told you, the instigation comes from a calculating mind. That's a human way of thinking, calculating, keeping score. I'm good to you because you're good to me, and I'm ignoring you because you ignore me. That's a calculating mind. And therefore, we have also a mentality, what I call the scarcity mentality, that basically you want more because other people are getting more. And so, therefore, you want a bigger piece of the pie. So that's your whole goal. So you're looking at people as pawns, so therefore you can achieve the bigger piece of the pie. This is the kind of thinking creates what's called enemies. You know hatred breeds hatred. You know that, right? I just read an article this morning. There's more hate group, white supremacist group, now than any time in history. Because anger and hate breeds anger and hate. And so it just breeds it. It just breeds it because it's based on fear. It's fascinating to me. And so, so when we under, understand that Joseph had the mind of, of God, and therefore he knew when he saw his brothers, it wasn't motivated by hatred, but was motivated by compassion. And so, but on the other hand, when on this hand, when we have the mind of Christ, we know that we belong to one another. Just like Joseph, he still had a connection. He knew that, man, he still belonged to his brothers. He still was part of that. Now, following on the screen, the mind of Christ has an enoughness mentality. 
An enoughness mentality is one in which we realize that when we express a godly love by sacrificially giving the gift of ourselves to one another, which we call grace, there is always be enough to go around. Now, considering this, where we get frustrated watching what's going on, that I'm fascinated by Martin Luther King Jr. I've always been fascinated with him. I've been fascinated with his call, the direction in life, how he did everything. It's just phenomenal. But the thing is, this is what I, I think it's interesting. He did not choose to be nonviolent towards these white racist bigots because he thought it was a good idea to be nice. Because in the Bible, there's no word, the word nice is not even in the Bible. Okay? Doesn't, doesn't exist in the Bible. But the thing is, he knew that these white racist people had what's called a scarcity mentality, that they were losing power. They were losing everything, and they had to gain things. This is the whole power to this racist thing that's going on in our, our, our world right now. It's a loss of power. It's a, the perception of losing everything. And so MLK Jr. on the screen knew that we belong to each other and need each other in order to be there and to be enough. Now, I, I wish I could preach like Martin Luther King Jr. Because you know that I had a dream. Everyone knows that sermon. But I want to focus on a message that he did in 1957, 62 years ago. And it's on YouTube. You can't see it. It wasn't like he was a YouTuber back in 1957. But it was at the Dexter Avenue Baptist Church, November 17th. This is the piece of a sermon. And tell me if this is not a sermon that I think needs to be preached now in our culture. Follow me. He's, he talks about loving your enemies. He goes, love has within a redemptive power. And there is a power there that eventually transforms individuals. That's why Jesus says, love your enemies. Because if you hate your enemies, you have no way to redeem and to transform your enemies. But if you love your enemies, you will discover that at that very root of love is the power of redemption. You just keep loving people. Keep loving them, even though they are mistreating you. Here's the person who is a neighbor, and this person is doing something wrong to you and all of that. Just keep being friendly to that person. Keep loving them. Don't do anything to embarrass them. Just keep loving them, and they can't stand it, it too long. Oh, they will react in many ways in the beginning. They will react with bitterness because they're mad because you love them like that. They react with guilt feelings. And sometimes they'll hate you a little more at a transition period. But just keep loving them. And by the power of your love, they will break down under the load. That's love, you see. It is redemptive. And this is why Jesus says love. There's something about love that builds up and is creative. This is something about hate that tears down and is destructive. See, you have to understand, agape love is something you can't earn. It's given to you. We have this earned mentality. I love you because you treat me the way you treat me. 
I don't necessarily need to practice agape love with my wife. You hear me? But there's people within the body of the church, I got to practice agape love. <laughs> right? And so, therefore, that's the opportunity when he talks about agape love, especially when marriage is going through the tubes. There's where you need to take it up and implement the agape love. You will watch incredible healing that's going to start taking place when that happens. And so just like, back on the screen, redemptive is expressed through grace, but when grace is given to an enemy, even if the enemy initially reacts as if what you are giving them is fiery wrath, there is a chance of redemption. There is a chance for the enemy to become a friend. There is a chance for atonement. Atonement simply means to make right a wrong that has done, that was done. Two wrongs can never make a right. Grace has the redemptive power to make right what is wrong. When we give grace to an enemy, there is a good chance that he will come to see the wrongs he has committed. This enemy can then have a chance, change of heart, and seek to make amends. This atonement becomes an at-one-ment. So follow me. Understand this, that when I... When I come back with hatred to another hatred, when I come back with resentment with another resentment, there's no building bridges, right? There's none. There's no winners in this situation. We all just become resentful, bitter people. Just like there is not enough food for Joseph's brothers because they did not kill him. Had they killed him years before, there would not have been enough food for them, and the family would have starved to death if they killed him. Where do we seemingly impossible ability to express agape love through grace to an enemy? Think of someone you cannot stand at this moment. Could you begin to express the agape love? Follow me on the screen. Agape is an ishness of God. It is who God is. This love offered sacrificially on the cross is a redemptive grace. It has the power to turn us from enemies into friends, and when we have a change of heart, it is atoning. This agape is expressed through grace and what brings us into at-one-ment with God and each other. The children, we can learn from each other. I was singing just as loud as these kids were singing, with the exception of Kai. Okay? <laughs> I love Kai. But we were, he was singing this. Give me oil for my lamp. Keep me burning. And it's interesting how the Bible talks about being anointed with oil. And some of us are just burned out. We're just burned out on life. Your perspective of life is just crap because your oil is not burning. You need to be filled. You need to be filled with Jesus, filled with grace and truth, right? Not with bitterness and resentment. Because look, I'm on not borrowed time. I'm 56 years old. I'm not going to live as long as I've lived, right? Unless I've lived to be 112. I'm choosing the second part of my life to live in joy. It's a choice that I have to do every single day. And I have opportunities to go crazy 
in my little head to calculate revenge? Or do I say, you know what? I don't have time for this. I got one day that's guaranteed, and that's today. And I'm going to enjoy today. Let it figure out, let it figure out down the line. And so let's stand up and close in prayer. And my prayer for you guys is that you will be filled with the oil of the Holy Spirit. That this week that you can let go and begin to let go of some resentment or bitterness or entitlement in your life. And that you can be filled with His Spirit. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to really reflect on your teaching, loving your enemies, and reflect on what MLK Jr. was talking about, loving your enemies, about being redemptive. And I just pray, Lord, that you will remind us that your grace is sufficient and that we can begin to let go and give to you some of our hurts, deep down hurts in our lives. We just thank you, Lord. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for your grace. We thank you, Lord, for your truth. And we pray, Lord, that as we go into communion today, that we can just commune with you. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Why don't you greet each other in the peace, and then we'll go right into communion.